My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Luke Mills. Luke is a PhD candidate at Macquarie University in Cognitive Science with a strong background in using data to gain novel insights into people and their behaviour. Luke's PhD topic is investigating the role of attention in reading and he is currently part of the PhD MNIST Mentor Program. Starting out in libraries with a diploma in library services, Luke chose to study psychology as an undergraduate where he achieved two prizes, first place in cognitive processes, as well as first place in advanced research design and statistics within the Department of Psychology. As an undergraduate, Luke completed a PACE unit with the Salvation Army, and following his Bachelor of Psychology, he volunteered as a lifeline counsellor. Luke currently works as a research officer within the Faculty of Human Sciences and completed a Master of Research in 2017. Luke has also been awarded two Australian Research Training Scholarships and has already published two papers in the Journal of Experimental Psychology and Memory and Cognition. Thanks so much for joining me today, Luke. I'd like to begin by asking you to tell us about your PhD project. Absolutely. So I'm doing my PhD in the Cognitive Science Department at Macquarie University. The aim of the department is to find out how the mind and the brain works and we're a multidisciplinary department. So we have researchers from all over the world from a variety of backgrounds. We have engineers, biologists, people in psychology, and also philosophy. Uh, the group I work with, we're particularly start studying reading. So we wanted to gain a better understanding of how the mind reads. So how does it go from written text to understanding the text meaning and combining it together into complex sentences? We look at both disordered reading, such as in people with dyslexia, but also skilled reading in adults. And we also look at uh, how reading develops um, from childhood to adulthood. And so in my research, I'm particularly looking at skilled reading in literate adults. So we run a variety of different types of experiments. Some of them are behavioral experiments. Uh, others is neuroimaging experiments, and I've also been using mathematical modelling of the data we, we've gathered. Who are you working with when you're talking about the skilled readers? Uh, you know, as you said, lots of people working with disordered reading. Who is this, the target for, you, for your research? Uh, the main participants we use are undergraduate psychology students because they're, um, they're all highly literate reading, readers. So we're really looking at people who are kind of in the higher bracket, um, highly skilled people. And so we get to watch the brain um, as it performs a task that it's really good at. Okay, so when you're saying watch the brain, what do you mean by that? Um, well, for example, I've been doing an EEG experiment where we attach electrodes to the scalp and then we're able to watch the electrical activity of the neurons firing as they're presented with words. And so how far are you along with this research? Uh, I'm about halfway through my PhD, so it's a three-year PhD, and I've got about a year and six months to go. So at the moment, I've collected a lot of data and run quite a lot of experiments and I'm in the process of writing up papers and submitting them to journals and learning more about the peer review process. How important do you think as a PhD it is to try and get into those journals or to publish as you go? I think that's a really important skill because you get that critical feedback from others in your field, uh, which is immensely useful. It can allow you to look at your data and results from new angles. 
and also they can spot things that you've missed and help you to generate new ideas. Hmm. Given that your project focuses on the mental process that people use when they read, have you always been a reader? Uh, I, it's true, Sally. I've always loved reading. My mother claims that read a book was one of my first sentences, <laughs> so I'd run around the house saying read a book over and over again. But uh, interestingly, when I first began school, I actually struggled a lot with reading and was almost diagnosed with a learning disorder. I'd ended up that it was actually the method that I was taught to read that caused the problems I was having. So it was a more old fashioned technique where you don't teach children how to sound out words. Instead, you just try and get them to memorize as many whole words as you can. And I was able, unable to do that and uh, fell behind. But when they tried a different technique, which involved teaching people the sounds of words so that you can learn to sound them out, I uh, uh, greatly increased and even was slightly ahead of my year group by the end of it. And so I think that shows how important uh, teaching methods are and how important it is to study them and gain an evidence basis for the methods that are used. Um, I then went from uh, loving reading, which led me to uh, doing a diploma at TAFE in Library Information Services. I particularly enjoyed the Dewey Decimal System because it's a very efficient way of organizing knowledge that other people can find it. And it was a very fulfilling job, but I always had in the back of my mind that I'd really love to go to uni. So. Uh, the first course I did was um, a Bachelor of Arts at the ACU, um, which gave me a chance to try out a lot of subjects and eventually led me to psychology. And so, you know, I guess you had a lot of choice. You yeah. have that reading background and uh, you're interested in technology as well. So what led you to choose psychology as your major? Well, one thing was that uh, when I was doing the Bachelor of Arts at ACU, it's a big, uh, it's a big teaching university. So it trains a lot of high school teachers and primary school teachers. And so as part of my Bachelor of Arts, I did some teaching subjects and psychology has a very, has had a very big impact on teaching. So it's helped us to understand more about how people learn about child development, about classroom dynamics and what motivates students. And I found those topics really fascinating and I wanted a chance to learn more about people, uh, both scientifically but also for compassionate reasons because I felt that psychology would uh, be a good avenue for helping people. Sounds like very good reasons to me. Following your psychology degree, you chose to become a lifeline counsellor. Lifeline counsellors come from a broad range of backgrounds and the training is quite rigorous and the work is challenging. What do you feel that you learned from this experience and from the other counsellors? I think Lifeline's an excellent organisation. Uh, the aim of it is to provide free telephone counselling services to people who are struggling and who are in crisis. The training it provides is also uh, really excellent. Uh, so you have to go through rigorous training before you get on the phones and are able to help people. Uh, one of the major things I learned during the training was how to listen. I think when you find a struggling person, one of the first instincts is to try and help people. But what people actually often want is some, simply somebody to listen and to understand. And so the training helped me to suppress those initial instincts and to focus more on actually listening and understanding the person. 
there was a great variety of people who did the training, people from all ages and all walks of life. And I think everybody there had different challenges to face during the training, but it was great to see people rise to the challenge and become great counsellors. Mm. What, what do you think you learned from mixing with that range of people? I think it's a really important uh, experience because you can realise that people may come at things from different angles and they might have different skill sets because for example there was some people there who the counselling may not have come as natural to them because they weren't as used to sort of speaking openly and sensitively with people but there would then be real people who are really great at dealing with crisis situations they had a nice calm demeanour so when you have that nice variety of people, you also get a nice variety of skills and you can learn to appreciate uh, the differences people have. Mm, and I can imagine you've taken that with you since that time. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. You completed a PACE unit, which is Macquarie University's award-winning work integrated learning program. What did you gain through taking the PACE unit as an undergraduate? I really loved my PACE subject. So PACE is uh, a great initiative. It gives students the opportunity to uh, get work experience and increase their professional skills and also to network with employers. Uh, I chose my PACE placement because I wanted to get more experience in a research setting. So by that point in my career, I was focused on going into research. So I did a placement with the Salvation Army and we conducted research that looked at the impact of the redevelopment of a public housing estate in Macquarie Park and what impact that had on its residents. So we did the research via interviews and surveys of the tenants of the housing estate. I learned some really important things from doing that work. Uh, one was the importance of the community. So the estate was a very close-knit community with residents who were often older people who'd been living there for a very long time. Uh, many of them were vulnerable people um, due to age or mental and physical disabilities. Uh, and that support network they got from the community was um, extremely helpful for them and also gave them a sense of identity. So they really identified as being part of that estate. And they were very worried about losing that. It was uh, very stressful. And I also learned, one of the big things I learned was the importance of open and honest communication. So one of the big issues with the redevelopment was that the tenants ac accidentally found out that the development was going to be happening through the media. So right from the beginning, those communication lines were damaged and it was very hard to recover from that and regain the trust of the community. And I think um, having that lack of information and communication may have increased uh, the uncertainty, anxiety that people experience. As humans, we like to have certainty. Yeah, and then, definitely. Um, but even if it's uncertain, it's better to know what parts they can tell you at the time, Absolutely. rather than finding out, you know, the complete story when it's too late, really. Yeah, and, and the trust has been lost. Yeah, and I think um, having that um, certainty and predictability can give people that opportunity to prepare because even if it's a negative outcome, at least you can prepare for it if you know what to expect. And I guess you mean by preparing psychologically as well as practically. Absolutely, yeah. So you've also been involved in the Mentor mentoring program for PhDs and that's what you're doing currently. What does 
that involve and what have you gained from the experience so far? Oh, well, IMNIS is a really wonderful program which has helped me a great deal. So it's a industry networking program for people in STEM fields and it involves getting an industry mentor um, who can help show you the ropes of industry and help you network with other industry professionals. I was lucky enough to get a mentor in Johnson & Johnson, which is um, a very large um, provider of healthcare products. And my mentor has been really excellent and he's helped me to craft my resume so it fits in better with what uh, industry expects. Because one of the issues is when you've been in academia for a very long time, a lot of what you've been doing has been focused on what academia, academia wants, but not so much on what industry wants. So I feel the IMNIS program is uh, really vital for helping people to bridge that gap between their academic skills and work in industry. I was involved today with a Careers Association webinar, and it was interesting to hear that pretty much we all agreed that PhD candidates have excellent skills, mm. but they don't know how to translate them. So this is what I imagine you're getting from IMNIS, is that you're discovering the things that academia wants are also things that industry wants, but in a different way and mm. different parts of those skills. But you have them. It's just understanding you have them and then translating them. Absolutely. And I think in many ways that's a communication skill. So you need to be able to present your skills in a language that industry understands. Because um, I do think that PhD candidates have a lot to offer and a lot of skills, but really focusing on um, transferring those skills into industry is something that we need to learn as well. Absolutely, I agree with that completely. Would you say that having strong technical skills and a genuine interest in people and communities have assisted you in your career with that combination? I, I think they have because I think the interests in people in communities uh, can be helped with technical skills because with um, a proper research method and evidence base you can potentially learn a lot more about people and then use that knowledge to assist them. And it's also interesting because they almost seem like opposing skills, like one is a very uh, technical and objective way of viewing people, whereas uh, compassion and interest in people is a very sort of subjective and maybe emotional need, but perhaps when you combine them, you can have the best of both. Yeah, the whole person really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So what would you say are your particular strengths? I think my one of them is uh, determination. I've had to work very hard and uh, really challenge myself uh, to improve improve my knowledge and improve my skills. I think I am uh, adventurous, so I've tried a variety of things and I think I've learned a lot from doing that. Mm. I think you can get a lot of opportunities simply by getting out of your comfort zone and meeting new people and trying new things. Uh, but I also feel my um, technical skills from my university training have been great. I've had a lot of great mentors and a lot of great assistants and I feel they've developed really well too. Yeah, because I've, I've seen some of your skills listed on your LinkedIn profile, for example, you mm. know, that you've got R and what are, what are some of the others that you would say that you feel strong in? Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been focusing a lot on computer programming and data analysis. 
So I know how to program in about three languages and I'm trying to increase those skills. And I know quite a few um, fairly sophisticated data analysis techniques. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed that uh, learning more about pro programming and coding and I've noticed that that's really become on the government agenda as well and they're teaching kids how to code and how to use computers at a younger and younger age now. That's right. So you've got it all really, Luke. <laughs> In a previous conversation, we spoke about luck and personal agency. How do you see that you've made your own luck? I can see that you have. Uh, how would you see that? Well, I think... One of the big career decisions I made was that when I'd first begun university, I had a friend who was working, an older friend, and he was already working in research uh, in a fairly similar field to what I'm in now. And um, he advised me that if I was interested in research to contact a lecturer after a lecture and um, offered to work as a research assistant or an intern. And uh, I took that opportunity and spoke to one of my lecturers and that I ended up getting an internship and coming first in that class. And that lecturer ended up being my supervisor for my master's and my PhD. So it was that combination of taking advice from someone who was more experienced and then taking that risk, sort of get out of your comfort zone a little bit and talk to someone you might be a little bit intimidated by. But then the benefit I got from doing that um, was a lot of opportunities for many years. Mm. And I would think that you would probably classify yourself as an introvert. I think naturally I'm, I'm fairly introverted, but it was quite amazing just the benefits of, um, of being brave and of introducing yourself to people. So really it does come down to bravery. You could have extroversion, introversion, whatever you want to be classified as. But in many ways, people might use that as something to sort of hide behind, whereas really it does come down to being courageous. That's true. And I think if you are an introvert, you can be somewhat strategic about your communication as well. So you can, you can plan it and then use it for, um, to try and find opportunities. Um, so, yeah, if you can sort of fit in increasing your communication skills with your career goals. Mm. And of course, you know, social media is ideal for introverts. You can find people you want to do research with or collaborate or learn from through Twitter or LinkedIn, a whole range of different social media platforms. And it's fascinating to see how career networking has moved online and amazing the um, professional networks that are on LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm, it's, it, it's really valuable. So how do you feel that your experience as a PhD candidate has changed you? I think it's been, um, it's changed so many different facets of myself. I think I've become a lot more organized, um, more determined. Uh, I've made a lot of friends. Um, and I also f feel um, a new sense of independence. So I sort of getting more used to making decisions in my life and building my own career. And I even think in terms of um, physical health, I've become more focused on exercise and healthy eat, um, eating healthily. So I feel um, the PhD experience has uh, really improved just um, across a whole range of, of different traits. Mm. 
It's interesting that you say that you've become healthier because there can be a real problem with PhDs where, mm. which we chatted just before we started yeah. this about, you know, something I'd seen on Twitter where there was this comment saying that PhDs, you know, have to work Sundays, get used to it. It was, wasn't in Australia, I'm happy to say, but mm. um, good thing was lots of people came back and went, that's a toxic culture and it's not going to change till, you know, everybody realizes that it's toxic and stops doing this and you said you're lucky your department's not like that at all and I asked you whether you um you know what you did for self-care and Mm. you said that yes you tend to take the weekends off so can you tell me about how you've been able to manage your time to maintain your health and improve it as you've just said well I think it's quite it's interesting the relationship between the mind and the body so if exercise has been shown to reduce stress quite a lot and I think um, the more healthy you are and the more active you are the better you'll be able to cope with uh, the mental stresses of uni and I also think because uni and the PhD is such a mental process it's good to combine it with uh, more physical activities as well so you can reach that balance and in terms of the sustainability Uh, If you're working such long hours uh, without um, taking breaks uh, in the long run, perhaps that wouldn't be sustainable and uh, may not may not be helpful and could lead to burnout. Exactly. Yeah. So what are your future plans? Uh, My future plans is to try and uh, move out into industry. So I'd like to take all the great skills I've learnt from my PhD and then um, apply them in the real world. And I'm also... This is the real world. That's true. (laughs) The other real world. Otherwise, I'm living in a fantasy land. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm also looking forward to uh, the new skills I can learn um, in industry. And I imagine your mentor through the MNIST program will help you enormously in that transition. Um, he has. He's, um, he's been introducing me to people and we've been working on uh, my communication skills and how to improve my resume. And yeah, I think it's, I'm excited about the future. Great. Well, I know that you'll just do wonderful things. You'll continue to be brave and take on new things and to take opportunities and create your own luck. So thank you, Luke. Thank you, Sally.